0: Let's pray. Father, you are the God of miracles, and you're a God who knows what we do not know, you're God who sees what we cannot see, and because of that, together we declare that you are a God, the God, the only God of miracles. And so many of us would say, even in this very moment, that we need a miracle in our lives. Many of us would say in other lives around us that they need a miracle. And God, so no matter what the prayers are, no matter what the thoughts are, I pray that you would meet with us. I pray that you would encourage our hearts. And God, I pray that you would give us something today in the next few moments through your word, through what's taught, through what's shared, even in the kids ministry, just down the hallway. God, do today something in our lives that will allow our future to never be like our past. Thank you, God, for every person here. Bless them, meet with them. Encourage them in Jesus' name, Amen. You may have a seat. Thanks for being here. Who's excited to be here? Anybody? Good. Me too. Me too. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm a pastor on staff here at Encounter Church. And if you're a first time guest, as Melissa shared earlier, thank you for being here. Um, We love every person that is not just only here at Encounter, but every person in our community because God loves people. So when people give Encounter Church a shot, right, but whether it be one Sunday a year or one Sunday in their lifetime, we're grateful for it. So every guest matters to us because every person matters to God, whether in this room or not in this room. And so thanks for being here. We hope that you're encouraged today. Um, I'm carrying on a series called Bad Advice. And before I get into the message, I'd like to give a, up um, a small disclaimer Um, I I taught the David series in the month of August. And if you were here two of those four weeks, I kind of made a big point about saying about King David's life, who the Bible describes him as having him being a man after God's own heart, right? But while we're encouraged about King David and all of his um, fame and all of his popularity and all of his power, he had a messed up life at times. And why that encourages us is because we do too. And King David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, had a really messed up life at times. And so today we're looking further into not just David's life, but his son's lives. And today's topic deals with some very difficult things. And so I'm going to do my due diligence in trying to be careful to talk about some of the issues and the stories. But at any point, mom, dad, if you feel like, you know what, son, daughter, why don't you come with me? We're going to leave. Um, if your child cannot talk, they're going to be safe right now. They're, they're a little bit too young, right? <laughs> some children in, in here, you're a little bit older. You understand that there are some um, difficult things. And mom and dad just may talk with you after the service, just to clarify. But at any point, if, if in the message you think, you know what, this is a little bit too much, I'm going to do my due diligence, all right? I promise you that. I'll, I'll try to be careful. But the story is the story. Do you remember me saying the Bible's R-rated? right? I'm just going to read the text and tell you what the text says. And so I just want to give that disclaimer. Um, in, in all ways, let me say, I'm sorry for not sending an email earlier this week. That kind of struck me first thing this morning. I'm glad I'm not apologizing at the end of the service. At least I'm saying it right now. Are you with me? Everybody thumbs up. You're like, I'm sorry. I did an okay job at this. Not a great job at just giving you a disclaimer. Um, but I just wanted to say that up front. So, I mean, as I said, when we look into the life of not just David, we look into the Bible, there's some messed up things in the Bible. In fact, I got to tell you guys, I spent three days this week, really Monday, Friday, um, and a little bit yesterday, really looking into this passage very deeply. And every time, and I'm not a crybaby, maybe I am, if you put on the right right chick flick, maybe I'm a crybaby. I said that. Yes, it's true. Um, maybe I am a crybaby at times. I, I'm, I'm a softy. I, I cried like reading this story every single time that I, that, that I sought to prepare it. It's incredibly sad because it's incredibly real. Not only did I connect with the story because of the messed up things that I've seen in my own life, but in my family and in other people's families, the life is tough. Can I get an uh-huh? Right? And, and I want everyone to say this. My family is messed up. Messed up. And, and go ahead and say this too. I, I you're like, what's he going to say? Am messed up. I'm messed up. It's true. You are. I mean, the, life is crazy, right? And now you may hear some other stories about someone else's family. You go, my family ain't that bad. Like, I ain't, I ain't dealing with that, right? It doesn't matter what it looks like or how, how grievous the problem is in the past. We can all say on the same playing field today, life is hard. And because life is hard, it runs itself in the core of our life, which is family. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself a Christian, right? Or if you consider yourself a religious person, or if you consider yourself an agnostic. The same truth bleeds through every human being. Life is imperfect, and it will show up in you. Life is imperfect and it will show up in every relationship, right? Life is imperfect and it runs its course through the core of our lives, which is our family. But in this series, we're talking about bad advice. And often the bad advice that we receive is what we listen to. Someone says something to us and it's hard to decipher. Is that a good idea or is that a bad idea, right? But sometimes the bad idea that we have, the bad advice comes from inside of us. And and here it is at its core. Just ignore it. It'll go away. Just ignore it, it'll go away. Now, raise your hand if you can connect with that. Have you ever said that to yourself? Just ignore it, it'll go away. Now, I want you to say real quick, and this is no trick question, I just want your gut. I want everyone to say out loud when I count to three whether that's good advice or bad advice. All right, you ready? Everybody pick, pick whether that's good advice or bad, and no one can say out loud, it depends. No, just say good or bad. One, two, three, go. Okay, I heard a lot of bad, heard some good, right? The, the truth is, it's both. Sometimes that's really good advice. Like, well, I, I thought this series was called Bad Advice. It is, just, just hang in there. Sometimes just ignore it, it'll go away, is good advice. I didn't put this on the screen, and I didn't put this in the app, but I just want to tell you what Proverbs 19 verse 11 says. You may want to write down if you want to look at it later. It's a great verse, very brief to memorize, right? I'm giving you the Jason version of it, not quoting it word for word. But the Bible says, it is to a man's credit to overlook an offense. Listen to that. Let that soak in with you. It is to a man's credit to overlook an offense. Now, sometimes in parental type responsibilities, you may hear this kind of colloquial language described as saying, you got to pick your battles, right? Everybody heard that? If you're a school teacher, first of all, God bless you. Second, you probably have to do that all day long. I can't slap every hand that needs to be slapped, like, not literally, but you, you're with me, even though you probably want to, school teachers. Anybody say, yeah, okay. Someone say, yes. Now, don't let your kid be in her class. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Trelane. I'm just kidding. Sorry, I said your name out loud. My bad. If you're online listening, her name was not that, what I just said out loud. Right? I know you want to like slap someone's hand, but like, it's to a teacher's credit to overlook some things. It's to a mom's credit, to a dad's credit. Let's go a little deeper with, with marriage. It's in your marriage's best interest to not fight every battle, right? In fact, the Bible says even in another language, because of the Hebrew word is so complex. The Bible actually says in one translation, maybe yours, it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Now that's strong. You're like glory and man doesn't match up, right? Because men are imperfect. Men are not glory, glorious, right? But the Bible says it is to a man's glory. It is to his good, to his credit, if you just overlook some things. Now the problem is the answer to the question, what then do we overlook? What do we let slide, and what do we let not slide? In a marriage, you have to make that decision every day. In a classroom, you have to make that decision every day. In the office, depending on the office environment and the business and the communication and the business practices, you have to make that decision every day, sometimes when you're the boss. Sometimes when you're not the boss, and you just say, you know what, this shouldn't be overlooked. But you let it slide, right? You have to make this decision every day. What then do I overlook? But there's also bad advice. Raise your hand if you said that was bad advice. Just ignore it. It'll go away. Bad advice. There's a lot of people that say, ah, that's bad, right? How do you know what's worth dealing with? Most of you would say, well, it just depends on the offense. Is it a minor offense or a major offense? Is this a small little thing that, that's just kind of petty and it'll, listen, they're four years old. Don't worry about it. They'll grow out of it, right? Yeah, okay, that's easy to just overlook. They're growing up. But how do you really know what's minor and what's major? Your definition is different than the spouse sitting beside you. Your definition of that is different than your boss, right? Your definition of that is different than the parents beside you when they look at your kid and say, I can't believe they didn't do something about that, right? Anybody done that? You look at other parents and we quickly judge. Hey, that's a big deal. Why aren't you doing something about that? This is a difficult, difficult question to answer. What do I overlook and what do I not? Well, We'll see this story in the scripture today um, regarding the, the, the family of David They overlook some things and they shouldn't have. And the quick answer to the question, if I could jump to the end of the message and then come back, is this. If there's anything in your life or in someone else's life that if gone undealt with will get worse, it has to be dealt with today. If anything in your life or in someone else's life that if gone undealt with will get worse... It has to be dealt with today. Now, you have to run, you have to run all these scenarios. Man, man if, I, if I don't say something, what's going to happen? Run the scenario. Just run it, right? And part of the leadership challenge, I'm not just pastoring a church, but part, part of the leadership challenge in the family and in relationships and in businesses is always running worst-case scenario, right? Leaders do that. Leaders prepare for worst-case scenario. If the market crashes, fill in the blank, right? Then I have to save up. I have to to make adjustments. Like leaders are always preparing for worst case scenarios and and pastors should do the same thing for their congregations and for their churches. What if then I will, like you have to fill in these blanks. What if this situation that you're dealing with, and because that's what our brains do right now, you're thinking of scenarios. I don't know what those scenarios are, but you're thinking of scenarios. What if it goes undealt with? What's going to happen? What could happen? Go ahead. Have fun upstairs, and you got to run that scenario. It could happen if God dealt with it. Could happen. The story in the Bible. I want to turn your attention to before we read there. I want to tell you about seven years of history before we turn and open the Bible. Um, but I want you to run this scenario. Now, this is one of those stories. I think most, not all, most of us could say, "Whoa, that's never happened in my family." Not, not most. I would say some of you could say, "Well." I ain't that bad. That's an easy scenario, Jason, right? If that happened in my family, of course I would deal with it, right? But that's not not the case. I've heard many stories like the one I'm going to tell you today that happened. I heard one about six, seven weeks ago. And I basically looked at him and said, you got to say something. You have to. You have to. Well, I can't. It's not my place. Sorry. It is now. You know it. You have to say something. So the Bible records a lot about King David. I'll tell you about King David, there's a lot of hero stories, right? I mean, more people in this room would be able to tell a little bit about David and Goliath than they would about this story today. More people would be able to tell the story um, about um, King David's wars than they would about this story. Well, there was a time of peace in King King David's life and he had many wives, he had sons, and he had daughters, and his family was growing and his family was big. And 2 Samuel... The story records that um, there was a man named Amnon. And Amnon was a son of the king. The Bible says that he loved his sister. Now, this is a big family, certainly making no excuses, but he had an affection for his sister. So Amnon loved Tamar. And being a daughter of King David and Amnon being a son of King David, we know that this was, of course, an inappropriate relationship. And so the Bible says that Amnon loved her. In fact, he was sick with love. Right? Anybody ever been sick with love? Anybody? Okay. If you're a young person, go ahead and raise your hand. If you're under the age of 21, go ahead and raise both hands. Come on, you're not supposed to do it. I'm just kidding. I've just pointed to someone and called someone else out today. It's true, like we're sick with love. I remember in middle school being like, oh, she likes me, and then I'm like, oh no, she doesn't like me. Oh, but I like her. I mean, just sick with love. Like you're thinking about it all the time. You like somebody a lot. If you're married, raise your hand if you're sick with love. If you better raise your hand. You're like, well, I used to be. Sorry, just kidding. Don't say that. Like sick with love. The Bible says he was over, over the top, affectionately attracted to, and longed for Tamar. Well, we fast forward, and he called for her in a deceptive way. And long story short, he rapes his sister. Second Samuel records the story. So the brother makes the sister sleep with him. Well, this happens. They're both shamed. In fact, Tamar said, how could you do this? For she had not been with a man. Tamar said, how, how, how could you do this? Right? And then he, probably so, so guilty of his own action and of his own sin, he despised her, which happens when we actually commit a very grievous sin, right? We, we do something in our lives that we're so ashamed of. We, we don't back down and say, oh, man, that was, that was such a wrong decision. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Sometimes bitterness actually increases when we're the, the one who chooses the sin. That's what he does. He becomes bitter towards her, sends her away. And guess what happens in the kingdom? The Bible says for two years, this went undealt with. Absalom found out quickly after. Absalom is another son of King David. You got the two brothers, Amnon and Absalom, and the sister, Tamar. Amnon committed the sin against Tamar. And then Absalom, the Bible says that he found out, and what did he want to do? He wanted to deal with it, but he didn't. For two years, he never said a word. The Bible says he never said a good thing or a bad thing. He never said a good thing because he didn't act like it didn't happen. You ever done that? You ever seen that in your family? I think most of you could say, yeah, something's happened that was wrong and everyone's carrying along like it didn't happen. They smile even though they want to punch their cousin. They hug them at the family reunion because they just smile and act like nothing happened. That's when you say, you say nothing good, you say nothing bad, right? He didn't deal with it. He didn't say, listen, how, what in the world? How could you do that? He didn't say anything. just went quiet. Even worse, King David found out what his son did to his daughter. And the Bible says he said nothing. He did nothing. Now put yourself in Absalom's shoes. You found out that your brother committed a sin against your sister and your dad. The king said nothing. How would you feel about dad? How would you feel about the king, right? wouldn't be good. And so you have this weird family dynamic for 24 months of great sins happen, no one saying anything. You ever heard those stories? You don't have to raise your hand, of course, but I think many of us could. And some of you could, in a painful way, say, I'm living that. I know some things in my family. In fact, in the last 12 months, I've found out things on my side of the family and my wife's side of the family. I'm like, serious? Does so-and-so know? No. No. Just it, it, these stories of what's happened in the past often stay quiet, and some of them should. I won't go all into it. Some of them should. Some of them are not for public discussion. They're not for family meetings. I get that. Some of the scenarios, you could say, well, this happened, and these people dealt with it, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be shared. It doesn't need to be shared. I know there's wisdom in that. I won't run those scenarios, run that gamut, but just know what happened. The king knew that one of his sons... Had committed a sin against his daughter. Everyone knew that it was a sin and no one said anything. Now, 24 months isn't a long time. Some of you could recall stories of things that have happened that are tough in life, and you would say, That's 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Some of you maybe heard stories about grandparents. You're like, no, not my grandma, <laughs> not my gra-. You're like, yeah, it happened. <laughs> like life's crazy, and you, and you just learn about these things down the road. Now, let me tell you the next the next scenario would happen here. Now, I could have went to King David in those two years and said, hey, if you don't deal with this, you know what's going to happen? David would have had no clue what's going to happen. King David would have had no clue what would have happened. He probably could have run some scenarios because that's probably what great kings do. He was a brilliant strategist in war. God gave him great favor with winning over a bunch of land, a bunch of people, and a bunch of money. And he did love God. He had an affection and knew that God loved him and he loved him back. Made a lot of mistakes along the way. But King David probably never saw this coming. Well, Absalom, remember the innocent son at that point, devised a strategy to call all the sons, right? A little family gathering. He devised a strategy to get Amnon drunk and said, if we get him to drink enough wine, then we can strike him down. And what did they do? Absalom gave the order to some of his men to get his family drunk. Not all the family was there, but many of the family was. Got Amnon drunk, took him away and killed him. Absalom murdered his brother. As payback. Didn't say anything to him in the two years. Didn't deal with it face to face. But he decides to kill his brother. David finds out what, haps, what happens. He doesn't deal with Amnon, right? But now he hears that Absalom actually kills his other son. The one who was guilty in the sin against Tamar. So what happens then? The Bible says that, that King David was so grieved, he actually sent Absalom away. He banned him from the city of Jerusalem. What happens to Absalom's heart? after he's so bitter for two years, for the next three years, he goes to a town called Geshur. And in Geshur, there's not healing that happens, right? There's bitterness that happens. Fast forward to part of the story. Um, someone comes to King David in those three years and tells him a little story and basically calls him out in a very subtle way and says, listen, and because of the story that some, someone shared with King David and said, listen, King David, this is you. You need to deal with this. In fact, the Bible also says that King David, during those three years, had come to terms. I think it's 2 Samuel, um, the, end of verse, or the end of chapter 13, says that David had come to terms with Amnon's death, showing that there was a little bit of resolve in King David. And he dealt with a lot of pain. This is his son and, and, and two of his sons and one of his daughters that's gone through utter turmoil, and the Bible says he came come to terms with him. Now, I like that for King David, because there are people that lose family members that never come to terms with it, yeah? They never come to terms with it, because they just don't heal, or for one reason or another, they just don't get over it, right? And I don't mean get over it, I don't, I'm not trying to be insensitive, I'm just saying they just, they don't come to terms with it. Did, 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 did King David call up Absalom and say, hey man, we gotta talk? Nope. He doesn't do it, even though the Bible says he wanted to. The Bible says he longed to talk to Absalom. Well, today we would say, well, pick up the phone, right? For King David, call the chariot, send a messenger. Well, Finally, he listens to some of his counsel after being called out, and David gives permission to Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. We say, man, that's a good thing, right? Right? Absalom's coming home. How long has it been? Anybody remember the story? Two plus three is? Good job, team. Two plus three is? Five years had gone by, and he finally let the, you know, the ban up. And it's fine. If Absalom wants to live in Jerusalem, then tell him he can come home. Well, Absalom comes home, and guess what happens? For two more years. Now, help me out, mathematicians. How, how long is that now? For two more years, he lived back in Jerusalem, and the Bible still says David really wanted to deal with Absalom. He wanted to talk to him. He, I don't know, talk this out, call him out, whatever, slap him in the face for killing his son, and then hug him and say, I forgive you, whatever it is. He just didn't deal with it. And finally, someone else came to King David and rebuked him and said, fine, let him come into my presence. And the Bible says that Absalom, after how many years? Now, some of your stories are like, Phew. Ours has been on the rug for, for 20, right? Like I said earlier. But seven years is a long time not to deal with your daughter who had, who had been sent against, your son who was never addressed, and because you never called him out, you never addressed him, one of your other brothers was so bitter at you and him, he murders him, and then you ban him from coming into your city. My family ain't so bad, right? I, mean, I know our family's got stuff in our lives, but you read this story, and you're like, this is... This shouldn't be happening. For seven years, remain quiet. Absalom comes into the presence of the king. In the end of 2 Samuel 14, says that the king... Listen, Absalom bowed down in front of King David because he should. And what does the king do? The king walks up to Absalom. He grabs his face and he kisses his son. Like, what a beautiful thing. Your daughter's probably dealing with a lot of baggage. Right? Who knows what she's up to right now, right? Well, your other son had been murdered by this son, but you give him a kiss. You know what conversation happened? Nothing. Somehow David and Amnon and Absalom and Tamar, I, I think if they would have run their mouth, somehow it would have made the Bible story. But they didn't. They took to the advice, just ignored it it'll go away. You may say, well, that couldn't have been their exact words, but that was their action. If we just ignore it, it'll go away. How how do we actually believe that? But we do. We do believe that sometimes if we just ignore it, it'll go away. Like this too shall pass, right? we say that because it sounds good, but it just ain't true. There's a lot of reasons why they probably didn't deal with this. But the Bible brings us in that story, I just told you a lot, seven years worth of history and the baggage of this family. And it brings us to 2 Samuel 15. Let me read some verses about what happens next. 2 Samuel chapter 15. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along in your app as well. After this, by the way, if you read the very end of 14, this is when he kissed Absalom, okay? He just kisses him. We don't know what he said, but we know Absalom soon left the presence of the king. Verse one, after the kiss... Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever a man came near to pay him homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I'll stop there. What did David say to Absalom when they were together after seven years he didn't deal with the issue son you killed amnon but i forgive you no son why did you do that son no conversation nothing so what does absalom do Absalom says, I'll show you dealing with an issue. And this is crazy to me, but this happens. And and this is why I got so emotional this week reading this story. I'm like, this is what families do. This is what what my family, what your family, what our family, this is what we do when there's really, 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 really hard things to deal with. We don't talk about it because we don't want to face it. Could you imagine being in the city of Jerusalem where King David reigns? At that time, not arguably, but the most powerful man on the earth. His son comes to him and he decides to leave there, get, his, get his, um, his horses, his chariot, and 50 other men, and basically set up camp, right, outside of Jerusalem. And as people were going to the king, you know what he would say to them? The king won't deal with your mess, right? That's what I just read, this, these six verses. If you come to him with a dispute, he's not going to deal with it. What's crazy about King David, he was an incredible warrior. He knew how to win battles. He knew how to defeat men. He knew how to conquer animals, right? We read the stories about King David. This was a giant of a warrior. But when it came to people issues, he was awful. The king knew how to defeat countries, but he didn't know how to deal with his family. And so Absalom... Sets up a little camp. People are on the way. Hey, where are you from? Well, I'm from Geshur. Are you coming to see King David? Yes. He's not going to deal with your issue. Let me help. Is that not crazy? They see the palace. I mean, they're they're, 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 not that palace, right? But they see the palace. I'm I'm going to meet with King David, right? No. He's not going to have time for you. Seven years later, he's not going to have time for you. And so he sets up. He kisses everyone that comes. He embraces him. By, by the way, I mean a kiss is a way of saying, I, I like you. I, I welcome you, right? And some countries around the world do this, right? Oh, just kiss each other on the cheek for an embrace. And that's showing the same thing we do when we, I don't know, fist bump, shake, hands, whatever, or whatever we do. That's an embrace to say, I welcome you. You're not of Jerusalem, but I welcome you. You're my guest. Like, tell me what you want, and I'm going to help you. And he does. He in and of itself, these, this moment shows that he is assuming the king's responsibility. Read on verse seven. At the end of how many years? Four. Yes, seven has already passed. Those of you that said seven, seven has already passed. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, four? Four? Now, there's a difference here. Is this like four total in Jerusalem? Because if so, that would be two more. You follow me? Because he'd already come back to Jerusalem for two years. And some say, well, no, this is from that moment of four years. So here's the point. Nine or 11 years, somehow chronologically, he went back to the king and said, I want to leave again. I, maybe maybe I, I gave this thing time here. You didn't deal with it. I came back home for a little while. Nothing's changed. Please let me go, he says, verse 7, and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur in Aram, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, and he did, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said, go in peace, which I think is just crazy that he would say that. I know that's what he's supposed to say. You have my blessing. <laughs> there ain't no peace in Jerusalem. There ain't no peace in David's house. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom... Sent secret messengers, hello, no peace, secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. Like, did he say that? Yes, he did. With Absalom went two hundred men from where? Jerusalem. Who's king in Jerusalem? Everybody say, His dad. He says, Not anymore who were invited guests, and they went into their, in, in, in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom, verse 12, While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahitophel, the Gilaanite, David's counselor, from his city, Gila. And the, the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Everybody say, that's messed up. Everybody say, I ain't so bad. Right, I mean it's true. You're like, and I know some of you can say, no, I got some similar stories. And I know I'm not trying to make light of that, or, or, but this is messed up, isn't it? Absalom was bitter. Nine to eleven years, he got so fed up and said, you know what? I'm a pretty good king, because you know what good kings do. Good kings love their people, and good kings bring about justice. Good kings bring about righteousness, and I'm going to do what's right in people's lives. Absalom was not the warrior his dad was, but he was sharp. And guess what? He knew it. And other people around him knew it. This isn't some just small conspiracy. This is, I'm going to be the new king. Some scholars actually believe that he would have tried. This conspiracy involved intentional revolts to actually kill his dad. The Bible doesn't have stories that fill in the blanks. And some would say when, when the Hebrew word conspiracy, it wasn't just, you just don't wake up one day and say, I'm the president of the United States. You may get a few YouTube hits, right? If you make those type of comments, but it's going to die down because you're not the president of the United States. Nothing you can do can assume that role. He can't assume the role. His dad is alive. His dad's king. You can't wake up one day and say, I'm king. But guess what? If you got everyone in America to listen to you and to follow you and to do what you said, you'd have a following, right? And he said, I'm going to gain a following. What happened? Because he did not deal with it. Absalom's guilty of this. Tamar is guilty of this. Amnon's guilty of this. And King David's deal with this. Just ignore it. It'll go away. Just ignore it. It'll go away. It didn't go away, did it? It only got worse. worse. Just ignore it. It'll go away. It's bad advice. From here, I have three things. And I want you to think about, I want you to wrestle over it, I I, I want you to deal with it, because I got to deal with this. But if you do these three things, the future will never be like the past. And it will be hard, but I can tell you this, it'll be worth it. My father-in-law used to say, He used to say this, hard is not bad, it's just hard. Do you hear that? Hard is not bad, it's just hard. Sometimes we confuse the two. We have to deal with things. Everyone must deal with problems when they arise. They will not go away. Can you say this with me? I'm just in the mood for you to repeat after me. Say, I must deal with problems when they arise. Look at these three things I want to give you. God, give me courage to acknowledge the truth. That's the first one. God, give me courage to acknowledge the truth. Now, the first step in not saying I'm just going to ignore it, I'm going to let it go away, is sometimes a psychological issue that we have and we actually don't believe there's an issue. We somehow convince ourselves that it's okay. And I think today, I don't know the scenarios, I don't know what the, you're dealing with, but all of us, you, me, we, everyone here, everyone listening online, everyone outside the room, we need courage. Sometimes that doesn't come from within. I think the first prayer you can pray, I can pray, is God, help me to acknowledge the truth. And part of acknowledging the truth is being able to say it. Not when anyone else is around, but you must say this. Something like this. This sin was committed against me. Fill in the blank. This happened. My uncle committed a sin against my cousin. I'm just making that up, okay? I'm just saying. My uncle did this to my cousin, right? You just say This happened. Don't act like it didn't happen. Acknowledge it. Second thing is this, God give me courage to face the truth. Now, that's hard. The first was really hard, right? Part of the basis in any type of counseling, both individual and couple or relational, anything, is whether or not someone is able to acknowledge the truth. As a student pastor, when parents would come to me and say, hey, um, can you meet with my son or daughter? I would initially say no. And here's why I would often say no. Probably three times out of four, I would say no. I would say, do they want help? And they would often say no. I say, I can't help them. Isn't that, isn't that foundational? Yes? Everybody with me? I can't help them. You want help, but they don't think they need help. If you're sick, you go where? To a doctor. If you're hungry, you go where? Like it's just a cause and effect. If you need help and you acknowledge that you need help, often you'll find it. Or at least you'll look for it. The second one, God give me courage to just face it. I need to be able to sit down with someone and say, This is just the example I'm using in language. My uncle committed this sin against me. My uncle committed this sin against me. You're just acknowledging and you're going to say, I'm going to face the truth. The last one is this. God, give me courage to deal with the consequences. Whoa. This one's huge. God, give me the courage to deal with the consequences. Guys, if you acknowledge the truth, you face it, there'll be major consequences, won't they? won't there? Major. Like, my mom's not going to talk to me anymore. Right? We know those stories, don't we? My parents, I've literally heard this. If I say something, they will disown me. You know what? I'm going to tell you this. I know this is being oversimplified. I don't know the scenario. I know you can say, well, how could he say it? I'm just going to say it. It's worth it. I don't know what it is for what you're thinking, but it's worth it to deal with the truth. Why? Because bitterness and and anger and confusion and years of of hate, years of acknowledging or not acknowledging hard things only gets harder. So church, I got to tell you, people, I got to tell you, it's worth it. You can't ignore it. As the band comes, I want to give you a few practical things um, this morning hearing this message and just thinking about it and and reflecting on it and knowing what to do next is hard in and of itself. Because I don't know what you're dealing with, what you have dealt with, but it's got to be dealt with. And and I would say a couple of things um, that are practical for you for next steps. You need someone outside of the situation to be a help to you is the first. You need someone outside the situation to be of help to. you. If you're like, you know what, this is in my life and I got to deal with this. You, you just don't call your brother. No if it's your brother, if you have a brother, but I'm just saying he, you might need someone else that's neutral. And so, you know what, that, mean, that may mean that you call me this week and say, hey, that message, I got to deal with something. And I, I don't know what's going to happen in, in the future because we deal with it. But I tell you what, it, 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 it's going to be hard, right? But you need courage to take that step. And it may be, it may be someone outside the church. It may be a, a trusted friend that doesn't know about that you go to for counsel. Or maybe just calling up a counselor peer and saying, I got something to say. When do you have an open, an open time to talk? If you need someone, some of you have done this. Say, I got something to talk about. Can you refer to me someone? I don't want to talk to you about it. I'm good with that. You need help? I want to find a helper. But I'm telling you what, the stuff in David's life that he thought would go away, because they'll get over it, didn't happen. And guys, it happens in our lives. It's bad advice to say, just ignore it, it'll go away. I mean, really bad advice, because it's not gonna go away. It may stay quiet for a long time, but it's just not gonna go away. Are you with me? So whatever it is, whatever it is, or whoever it is, let the church come alongside you. Let someone outside this church come alongside you and say, that's a hard thing, we deal with it. And you know what dealing with it could be? Someone just praying for you. Someone say, I'm so sorry. Let me just pray for you and encourage you. And you know what? Call me if you need me. It could be that simple. But it might not be that simple. It might be saying, you know what? You're not going to like this, but we got to deal with this. we got to take the right actions to deal with whatever it is. And I'm just throwing out those scenarios because you know your story and you know what's in your life. For some, finally, the last thing I would say, it may be calling someone out. It needs to be called out. And it's worth it. And it's hard, but Jesus lays out a plan for that. He does. I'd love to tell you about it. He lays out a plan to say, you know what? Life is hard. When you got to deal with hard things, here's what I think you should do. I can tell you what Jesus said about that. Right? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray. God, I don't know the scenarios. I, I I don't know what's happened in our lives. When we look at King David, we see so much. Baggage. We see so many hard things that just didn't go dealt with. And God, we want to deal with things today. I don't know what it is, God, but help us to ignore the advice that we say to ourselves to just ignore it, it'll go away. And sometimes, God, it's other people outside. Help us to ignore other people telling us, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. And don't worry about it, it'll go away. Because we see what's happened in our lives, and not just the Bible stories, but in our lives, what happens when we don't deal with things. So God, give us courage to face the truth. Give us courage to acknowledge the truth. And most of all, give us courage to deal with the consequences that are before us. We love you, Jesus. Give us help because we know you are our helper. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the next few moments, we're going to sing a closing song. And during that closing song, we take an offering. And so your gifts that you give to Encounter Church go towards not only reaching people that are in our community, but it goes to being a part of the Great Commission, which is to tell people that God loves them. And so as you give to Encounter Church today, know that your gift is making a difference and reaching people that don't know about Jesus yet. If you're a guest with us, your gift to us can simply be filling out the connection card putting it in the basket. And we'd love to know that you're here. So that would be your gift to us. So as we close, go and stand. We're going to sing one final song um, together. Thanks for being here at Encounter Church.